once came another man. Style of tall. Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. Young a superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. Okay, so it is June 2023, and just today, I believe, unless I am late on the news, but just today, a uh, federal judge, a United States federal judge, dismissed the lawsuit uh, that Grandmaster Hans Neiman had filed against Chess.com, Play Magnus, Magnus himself, I believe, and like a few other people. I think even in some weird way, like Nakamura was on this lawsuit. Uh, Right. Yeah, it was just, it was strange from the start and, you know, unfortunate for the game of chess, really fortunate for the humor surrounding the game of chess. Um, Mm. I have in front of me, in fact, an article published by CBS News about sex toy cheating in chess. I mean, that's how wild and bizarre this chess scandal got. You remember that, Gopal? Yeah, wasn't this all started by uh, enemies of the podcast, Julia Rios and JJ Lang? I, you know, I don't know if they would take credit for it, but I'm pretty, the first, the first vibrating anal beads cheating tweet that I saw was definitely JJ. For I don't sure. know it's, if it's he invented it or, it. <laughs> def- right, exactly. It's his trademark, right? Um, in so many words, yes. As an always sunny aficionado <laughs> and fan, have you seen the episode where Danny DeVito plays a game of chess? Ah, that just came out. Yes. No, I haven't. So, um, without giving too much away, uh, he's, it's a parody of the Queen's Gambit, right? Yes, and he is receiving some assistance in a manner that may have befit the scandal very well. Excellent. <laughs> During the game, um, I know so much about Always Sunny that I don't even know uh, his character's name. Uh, Frank Reynolds. Okay, so check that one out. It's it's definitely. I, I saw just the clip of the the chess playing scene itself. Was tweeted by uh, also friend frenemy of the podcast. Uh, I am Kosta Kavutsky, uh, who was mm-hmm. on season two or three of the show, as I recall, um, Chess Underground. Um, so go back and give that one a listen. Kosti with the chess or chess don't. dojo, really cool dude. Um, anyway, that said, uh, you know this was a huge story when the world champion of chess accused a a twenty seven hundred player and up and coming grandmaster uh, American grandmaster of cheating. Chess.com, and I have to say, like, you know, kind of thinking about it and looking back at it retroactively, a pretty weird move. Chess.com released a a 70 plus page report with various addendums, uh, sort of Mm -hmm. outlining, you know, the the statistic uh, analysis that they had of the situation. I wouldn't necessarily call it like a a cheating report. I'm I'm not sure what it was. Did you read this report? You know what I'm talking about? Um, 
You know, as much as I thought I could be bothered to read the whole thing, I didn't. Um, obviously, I paid uh, close attention to their list um, mm-hmm. that they had published of like, you know, uh, grandmasters who had cheated. Um, and like, I know some of them really were uh, <clears throat> like proven to not be like who they thought it was. Like, uh, I forgot somebody tweeted under that fake Hans Niemann account. Um, the names attached uh, to like just the, the rating and instant of cheating or whatever. Yeah. So like basically doxing these people. And I can say for a fact though, some of them were Incorrect. You know, very, no, very correct. Actually. Oh really? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Like there are a lot of players that I knew, um, you know, we're shady like that to put it mildly. So. I had not seen that, that docs list. And that, that's fascinating that that was some of the fallout, you know, to me, that just makes the decision uh, to publish uh, that, I guess, report would maybe be the best way to describe it, e- even a little weirder. You know, uh, I just mm-hmm. I, I, I was curious at the time, you know, sort of what what the impetus behind it was. But in any case, it's out there. The information is out there. It's publicly available. And the saga, we think, maybe is over or at an end somehow it kind of feels like a, a closing point, right? The dismissal of a lawsuit feels like a closing point. Yeah. Um, by the way, did you just, uh, sneak in the, uh, what, what's the, what are, what do they call those things? The, the catchphrase for the show, um, the X files. Did I, Oh, if no, I did, the, it was the truth un- is out there. The that's, truth that's is out there. Yes. Oh man. What a great show. <laughs> And Scully. I, I had a huge crush on Scully when I was in like, uh, you know, sophomore in high school. Still do, baby boy. That's, yeah, that's for real. Um, anyway, no so... No clap? I, is that what the kids say? I don't know. Huh? Clap or no clap? I don't know. Yeah, no clap. Right. <laughs> no, it's, it's no cap, you... No cap, doofus. <laughs> <laughs> because that makes, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like, yeah. Like, what is... Cap. So stupid. Um, anyway, so... As we were. Yeah, so this got us thinking um, what, you know, kind of kind of looking back at what were some other like strange um, slash scandalous moments, right? Because those were the two key elements of this whole saga uh, with uh, Magnus and, and Neiman and uh, the cheating accusation and everything, all of the fallout that came after that. I think it was, wasn't it? Uh, some some pornography website offered Neiman like a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars to like play a game naked or something. Um, like all, all of the weird things that came from this got us thinking about you know other moments in chess history that were, for lack of a better term, strange and scandalous. Right? Yeah, for sure. So we we came up with a few, and I'll let you introduce the first one because this one obviously. Is is very different from the scandal that just concluded or wrapped up, but it's an interesting one nonetheless because of all of the subterfuge behind it. I, there was even a documentary made on this. You know what I'm referring to? Um, Without stealing the thunder, I don't want to give away the title of the documentary. So I'm going to let you introduce it, and then I'll, I'll bring that one up later. Uh, we're talking about the 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 fluid related one, right? Yeah, the toilet gate. No. The first oh, okay. one. Oh, different, different food related <laughs> manner. Uh, yes. yes. <clears throat> uh, yeah, toilet gate uh, that occurred in the World Championship in Nulista in 2006 between Kramnik and Topalov. Yeah. So um, 
very, very bizarre uh, scenario here. So kind of setting the table, 2006, what's going on in, in the world championship world? Um, there was a there was a, a sort of a reuniting, right, of the world championship. Was that, when was that? Was that 2004 when everybody kind of got back on the same page? That was, or was 2004, I believe. Or wait a minute, they held... But then they held the FIDE World Championship in 2005, which Topalov won. And then they played this match. So I don't know if this was like true reunification or not. I was actually wondering, was this the actual... I I believe this was the actual reuniting match, right? Right. And and maybe they had... I don't know if that that was the plan, like from 2004. Um, But maybe that was like the road to reunification, I guess. Yeah, I think that is the case. So I I actually pulled it up since we did so much fantastic research. So Mm -hmm. from 1993 to 2006, no match was held between the various classical and official champions. So this match, uh, Topalov, Kromnik, 2006, was the reunification match. It brought the two title holders together to unify the World Chess Championship for the first time since the 93 split. So this is that match, actually. Right. And of course, and, yeah, we should tell the the uh, viewers too at some point about the split. Just a quick, yeah, go for it. Let's let's second. begin there. Actually, we should probably start start <clears throat> from the start from the beginning. So, if I'm not mistaken, it was like Kasparov's um, longing for like a better, uh, you know, governing body of uh, chess players. Um, he had numerous incidents where he was not satisfied with FIDE. Um, and wanted to make a split in terms of um, the world championship. So he created the PCA. and With which, Nigel Short, I believe, right? Right, yeah, and which later became like... And, the, and then, yeah, yeah, so that was its own thing, right? And then FIDE had their FIDE world champions, right, with knockouts and, and stuff. Right, yeah, so the PCA, Professional Chess Players Association, I believe, that's what it yeah. stood for, um, sort of diverged. And the classical world championship title was considered disunified, sort of in disarray um, throughout the 90s. Yeah, because um, Kasparov like stood up basically and start, yeah, started. And players went with him and players went with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the famous, I think there's a famous photo of him and Nigel, right? Signing some papers that initiated right. PCA or something like that. And then in 2000, there was the really weird, I think it was. 2000, maybe even every year, like like 98, 99, 2000, 2001, there was the really weird FIDE knockout world champions, right? Yeah. Where they had these knockout matches and um, like Halifman won it or something and Ponomarevsky. Yeah, Halifman won. Um, Ruslan, Karpov actually. Ponomaryov, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Ponomaryov, um, Kasimjanov, I believe was the last one to win a knockout. Yeah. So there was sort of this, um, I guess, like... M- multiple claims to to world champion titles during this during this period but that all ended in 2006 um Mm -hmm. with this match with this match so the match itself is interesting because um not not only was it the reunification sort of match between these two but there was a bit of there was a bit of tension surrounding it um related to strangely enough toilets So uh, during the match, essentially what was happening is uh, the first four games, uh, Kromnik was using the the restroom quite frequently. Now, it's interesting to sort of see this from historical perspective. Did you watch any of the actual video between uh, or for the uh, Nepo Ding match? 
Uh, no, I didn't. Like the live video feeds? It was really interesting. There was actually like a lot of Twitter guffawing about like Nepo never being at the board. Um, uh-huh. So, you know, nowadays they have uh, sort of like these um, very nice, I guess, rest areas is what, what you would call them, right? Yeah. So you can retreat to your rest area and kind of get some some peace. Of course, these rest areas are like completely covered with cameras anyway, right? So even though you're in there, it's not like you're really like hidden from view or anything. Yeah. But Chromic was using the... You, huh? What's that? I said that's bad news for you, huh? <laughs> right. Yeah, I just want to like <clears throat> take this sleep. Have you ever have you ever uh, slept what? at the board? No, never. Have you um, ever faced an I've opponent who did? Uh I've seen it. Uh I don't know if I faced it right off the bat. Like I know for sure I remember going to an Indianapolis open with uh Angelo Young. Like he's playing on the board next to me against a weaker player and like I forgot that his position was like a little bit worse or like maybe even he's like nursing an extra pawn. He just straight up dozes off. So <laughs> I devised a scheme where I would walk by and I would pretend to trip on his chair, thus waking him up. <laughs> and Oh my gosh. Yeah, so it's funny you mention him by name specifically because so this is international master Angelo Young. I actually have also witnessed him doze off on multiple occasions <laughs> during a game. Yeah. And he always woke himself up, but oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I actually did have one opponent fall asleep against me. And I don't know, uh, it was such a confusing situation. I remember it really clearly. I was playing a tournament in South Dakota. I think it was Sioux Falls. Um, and I was just like completely winning. Like I wasn't sure why the game was continuing. You know, I mean, it's like up a rook and a piece and like, a, a you know what I mean? Just huge material mm-hmm. advantage. And my opponent uh, was not, I mean, he was older, but not that much older. I would guess like late 40s, early 50s, and just fell asleep like on his move, like thinking in a position where, where you know, it was a very lopsided uh, material, material situation. Um, and I didn't really know what to do, you know, because I kind of wanted to like end the game and go get my lunch and stuff. But I also didn't want to, you know, be rude and like nudge him or, or whatever. Um, so I just let him nap and... The, the sort of anticlimactic last? finish <laughs> just napped for like 20 minutes and then he woke up and finished the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, he woke up and finished it. Yeah. Oh, I think I'm that was wondering. his plan all along. He needed like a power nap. Yeah, I've, I've heard. Yeah, I've like heard of people doing this, too. Like I might close my eyes for like a minute. Um, just like give him a break or something like that. Um, but yeah, like sometimes you just need to you know, rest your eyes. But also, you know, sure, you need a power nap in situations where you're doing like a lot of calculating or just like, like his, you know, he had so much to calculate, right. Being a rook and a minor piece down. (laughs) That was the confusing part is it was just like, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're really that tired, we could just finish the game and you could go take a nap, you know? Right. Um, But I guess, I guess there was some deep, deep theory there. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway. So, so Kromnik was using the, the, the toilet quite frequently, which, caused essentially Topolov's camp to you remember this they were they were very upset i guess would be the best way to put it yeah Danilov and Topolov so yes his so his manager Silvio Danilov uh, ends up um essentially not though right he yeah he ends up complaining to the organizers and to the press so it kind of takes it public right away 
And, you know, at this time, um, this this became a huge scandal. I remember the the number one news feed was chessbase.com at the time. Did you follow where did you follow yeah. your chess news in 2004? Oh, absolutely there from like probably 2002 until like maybe, I don't know, last like couple of years. You know, yeah. I think they still have they still have good stuff, but like maybe, you know, having a monopoly over, you know, the entire business for like many years, Stockholm to me. But like, I don't know, those uh, those chess based articles, as the children would say, uh, used to hit different. Oh, I thought you were going to go with really slap. No, I, but also, yes, <laughs> yes, they, they really do. Um, they really did hit different. Maybe we'll talk about, you know, that uh, one of our favorite ones, the, the madness thing. Oh, yeah, that was a fantastic. I mean, that's a, truly a, another strange moment in chess history, but it was a, it was mm-hmm. a great one as well. It was a great um, one for us, too, baby. So, so Topolov's team, Dana, uh, his, his manager uh, and Topolov himself, basically, they, they make a complaint that Kromnik is not using the restroom, you know, or is using the restroom too much. And there could be like some nefarious, nefarious things. I kind of remember, does this ring a bell, Gopal? I kind of remember there was a, an investigation where they were like, like finding, like, like taking the wall apart and finding wires and stuff. Does that, does that ring a bell to you? Yeah. I don't remember what exactly uh, were the results of that investigation. I mean, obviously Kromnik was allowed to continue. Um, but yes. yeah, what, what about it? I know. I just remember I have this, I have this like sort of, uh, flashing memory of like, they actually went to some extreme lengths to like, look at it and, and came, I, I don't think anything came of it. I think came up with a, a handful of nothing. Right. But what's fascinating is sense. this was another moment where, um, a world championship match game was actually won and lost by forfeit. So uh, most people know of the very famous uh, uh, Fisher Sp- Fisher Spassky incident, right? Mm-hmm. Where I believe was that he forfeited the first two games. Is my memory correct? No, he forfeited game two, I believe. Oh, really? I thought it was the I thought it was the first. I thought he was let in me, an O two hole. Let me get our stats guy. Uh, All right, call this. call the stats guy. Can you get him on the phone for us? Yeah. So typing furiously. Yes. Con- continues. Uh, game list yeah yes yeah, so pardon oh no go ahead yeah so fisher lost the first two right because he lost the first game and then forfeited the second but then he came back in, in that famous i was actually looking over this today for a student um this famous game in the modern benoni where he wins his black with this weird night h5 idea so i remember that i remember he won game three he actually did play game one uh, yeah, that was the famous bishop take h2 blunder. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And then and then that's why he started in an o2 hole. I remembered the o2 hole. For some reason, I thought it was two forfeits. Mm-hmm. But I uh, think... Yeah, sorry. No, go, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that's probably the most famous, like, well-known world championship forfeit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and maybe on that list was uh, this game between uh, Fisher and Oscar Pano. <clears throat> when in uh, the what was it nineteen seventy interzonal, um, Pano was like annoyed that uh, the the organizers were like acquiescing to a lot of Fisher's requests, and so like I think Fisher played one c four, 
which was an unusual move for him at the time, but I believe he had already played it against Polagievski, which was a big surprise. Um, and yeah, like right before the hour, you know, default time um, was over, like Pano came in and resigned him. <laughs> After one C4? Yeah. 58 wow. minutes late to the game, but it was, yeah, he didn't, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's, yeah, because he was annoyed that the organizers were acquiescing to a lot of Fisher's demands. Wow. That is, uh, I, 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 had, I was unaware of that story, but that is like extra style points, not just to mm-hmm. allow the, you know, option one is to allow the forfeit to occur, right? Right. Option two is to wait the time and then come and resign. And I feel like that makes like an even more profound statement, to be honest. It's like an extra special, you know. Yeah, it's it's swaggy, right? For sure. But I, I feel like if there was um, the internet back then, we would definitely have some Thug Life Pano videos going around. Oh yeah, like uh, Oscar Pano um, show, like showing up, like blinged out. Right. Have you seen the Thug Life Grishik videos? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the little sunglasses that come in, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Oh and man, that'd be great. The marijuana. Um, yeah, they always they always include something whenever they they drop one of those Grishuk videos. Which, by the way, if you're oh, unfamiliar the with them, the Doritos. Oh, that's a great one. Go check out go check out the Thug Life Grishuk ones. They're great. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just YouTube. Um, hilarious. Um, but I, but I would say that was probably the most well known World Championship forfeit. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people forget that this reunification match, Kram of the famous Toilet Gate match. Um, as it as it sort of became known, um, why is everything a gate, right? Like I know Watergate, but come on, are we really that uncreative? Um, I mean, look, it's a gate to another universe, basically. What what gate would the scandal of your life be called? Um, untreated <laughs> mental illness gate. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yes um, so anyway, the the toilet gate match had a had a forfeit, so. What happens is essentially yeah, it was you after know, game two, right? No, it was it was after game. It was after the complaint by Toplov's side in game four. Um, so the complaint is registered. There's a big to do about it, and essentially, you know, Kromnik's position was, "Hey, you know, these are this is within my rights. I'm following the rules of the match. I can use it as much as I want. You know, what what are you going to tell me? I, I'm drinking water. I can't use the bathroom. You know, like come on." Um, mm-hmm. And that was his stance, and essentially. I just want to make sure I get this detail correct, but I believe he essentially refused to play um, game number five. Um, right. And if I'm not mistaken, too, yeah, he was alluding to, like, yeah, possible medical issue, but, like, didn't want to disclose exactly what it was. I didn't know that. I thought it was more just like, you know, hey, if I need to use it, I'm going to use it. It's my right, you know, it's whatever. But you could be, you very well could be correct. Um yeah, so essentially Kramnik refused to play game five, gets forfeited, and um, yeah. There's... Yeah, he's not down 0-2, but uh, he is, you know, one game hole against Topalov's no joke. Right, right. That was actually, so I believe the match score at that time, and you can check and correct me if I'm wrong here, Gopal, but I believe Kramnik was actually up 3-1 at that point. If I remember correctly. So it was like a, a, a wild thing that he actually forfeited. Yeah, I'm checking now. Game one, he won in a uh, some kind of Catalan. Yeah, that was with Queen G5 and Queen take B5. Yeah, game game two, he also won with black, black side of a, of a Slav. Yes, which uh, actually, this is like a big 
piece of evidence in favor of Kramnik. Um, this oh, game, which we'll so? I was, to. I'm unfamiliar with that. Um, <clears throat> in that, um, like, okay, Topalov lost, um, you know, when he was white in the Slav uh, mm-hmm. with DC4, but then, like, at some point, Topalov misses a forced mate. Like, he has oh. Kramnik under this heavy, heavy attack, right? And then I think I don't know if Kramnik was already lost or like he he blundered, but then Topalov missed like a force mate. I don't remember missing a force mate. Let's see. Um, so yeah, I see here. So yeah, it was after move twenty nine, basically, where uh, he had a, he had a different intention, uh, but then had to basically change change his plan because he noticed that his intention was allowing force mate. Well. Um, uh, yeah, I think the <clears throat> the win was like move thirty two. He could play rook g seven. Yeah, I see that as well. So actually, that's this is an excellent point, right? You know, the accusations of of him using the restroom regularly, but yet here you have we have actually, as I'm reviewing the game, three or four different moments. Move fifty three, he missed the only winning move. Uh, Kromnik did. Um, and, yeah, and basically, you know, force mate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> walking into just a, lo- a lost line. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of it's, it's interesting to see these uh, this sort of a scandal, given some of the events that had occurred in the match, I guess would be the best way to put it. Right, exactly. Um, anyway, long story short, Kramnik ends up forfeiting game five and. Um, the 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 situation at that point was basically I don't know if you recall but it was basically the the idea was that this match might not even continue. Right. Yeah, that was definitely the vibe I got at the time. I think that yeah, I think sort of the whole chess world was with that vibe, right? Like, how do you continue after forfeiting a game? You know, they were basically saying if you don't show up uh, at, at this particular particular moment, <laughs> the, the match is over, right? Mm-hmm. And so here we have this reunification match after 13 years of a disunified title that is essentially about to end because of a bathroom. Uh, boy, what's the right word? Bathroom. Bonanza. Bonanza. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the press were having one. The, the great this... bathroom bonanza of 2K6. That's, uh, that's what you call it when you return back from Taco Bell, right, Pete? Uh, actually, correct. That is true. As you call Taco Bell a secret vegan refuge. It really is. It's fantastic. So, like, I, actually, I know this is sort of a, a very unrelated tangent, but I'm very curious about that. Toilet gate, man. Right. Well. It connects well. It does anyway. connect. I agree. So I think we should investigate it a bit. So, like, I, I was curious. Are, are the, like, the tortillas, are those, do those count? Are they vegan? You betcha. So if I wanted to get a vegan meal there, I could get pretty much anything as long as I left out the meat, correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, like a Crunchwrap with uh, black beans instead of beef. No cheese, no sour cream. And if you add guac, add potatoes. It's fantastic. Oh, man, that sounds really good, actually. Okay, see, I got to get these. I got to get these details so that I know, I know what to do. Exactly. I'm not vegan, but I dig, the, I dig that vegan food a lot, actually. Um. Okay, anyway, long story short, this ends up resolving when, get this, the appeals committee resigns. Okay, so the committee that basically mm-hmm. had, had made a ruling uh, regarding the, 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 the toilet gate and the, the use of the restroom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, 
resigned. And Kromnik did end up sort of resuming the match with the score uh, three to two, the forfeit standard. So the forfeit stood, excuse me. Wow, standard. Oh my gosh. Um, my uh, my three year old's uh, attempts at grammar are rubbing off on me. Yeah, he, I know he's... you both are an embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag friends. Um, yeah. So anyway, the the appeals committee resigns. The match resumes, and Kromnik ends up winning anyway. And and actually, in the rapid tiebreak, if I recall correctly. Yeah, because I think they uh, the scores drew level pretty soon, right after they resumed, and then yeah. And then, you know, the rest was history. Yeah, and quite a history it was. I mean, this, this incident, I think, if you recall, it sparked what, what maybe we should call handshake gate. You remember this? It was uh, Cheparinov, um, and I don't remember right. what Didn't opponent he was facing. shake hands with Nigel Short. Yes, because, and I believe it was because of their differing stances on this issue, if I'm not mistaken. Right, and, you know, Nigel Short, of course... Um, I know everybody thinks of him as somebody that keeps his mouth shut. You know, they might as well call him Nigel tight lips, but like, no, the guy lets his opinions be known. Right. And Cheparinov, as I recall, was to Paul of second, right? Yes. At that time. Yeah. So this was a, a really sort of bizarre situation that was sort of fallout from toilet gate essentially because of, you know, the opinions voiced and, and et cetera, that occurred, um, Cheparinov basically refused a handshake. And as I recall, Fide then made a rule, right? Where you were just going to be forfeited if you don't uh if you don't acknowledge the other player or shake hands. They started handing out forfeits for that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And they replayed the uh the game actually. Um with Cheparinov and Short. They replayed it on the rest. Unfortunately, Nigel Short won. He won a pretty decent game at that too, but Chipper what event was that? Wasn't it like a like uh, NZ? Oh, I, I was going to say, I know it was a really big, like world class tournament. I didn't know it was Vike. Wow, uh, like the the B section or something like that. Yeah, that's by the way, that's on my chess bucket list. Like if I if I could pick one tournament to just like attend and and you know kind of hang out at, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if they even have like a section I could plan, but Vike would be number one for me. How about you? Yeah, or like, um, you know, like maybe Linares back when they also had the Linares open. Yeah, or when they, um, didn't they do uh, Linares Morelia, like they did half in Spain and half in Mexico? Yeah, they they did that for sure. I've heard from uh, a trusted source that the Bunratty open in, uh, I believe, Ireland uh, is also really cool. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've heard the same thing. So I would, I'd be interested in playing that one too. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Anyway, strange, scandalous moments. Toilet Gate. That's number one. Gopal, what do you got for number two? Um, an an interesting incidence of um, you know, like sort of this uh, fair play discussion. Like, it, an interesting incident can be seen in the Kasparov Deep Blue match from nineteen ninety seven. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. We normally think of like cheating accusations or like or humans versus humans, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so you're, hey, you're playing against a computer already, right? Like, what sort of impropri- impropriety might there be? Um, so, like, it, I, I would say it starts like with game one. Um, as we were playing with in, uh, or as we were playing over, rather, in game one, um, 
yeah, Deep Blue, once taken out of its opening book, plays the first like 10 moves sort of normally. Um, but then like it's 11th and 12 moves were really strange, right? So this, Th- this is the, is the ready, game. ready game, correct? Yes. First game of the 1997 match. And um, Kasparov yeah. is playing like some kind of hedgehog ready-ish opening. Yeah. Double Fianchetto double ready. Fianchet. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Black responds sort of in the style of the reverse Torre. Um, uh, kind of as it's, it was popular to do so, like the Bishop F5 Lasker system too. Anyway, um, yeah, the computer just handles itself so poorly. Like in a few different instances, like strategically the, the moves that it made make a weird impression. Although I think revisiting this game with a modern computer would be really interesting. Yeah, I would be curious to see that too. It, it, from, from, your, from, the human, from the human eye, it just seems like the Deep Blue didn't understand what was going on. Right. But nevertheless, like there was a certain degree of uh, dynamics that were injected into the game later. But yeah, um, probably sometime and, after like HG4, Night G4. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, a lot of times, like some of these newer computers might uh, are like they're very creative in terms of finding counterplay for like bad structures or like material deficit. Right. Which was, which was exactly what occurred here, essentially. Right. And um, yeah, so it handles itself pretty badly. Kasparov's very satisfied having won the first game, but then the strangeness starts up in the second game. So I would say, where would you say the first uh, strange moment occurs? Um, like, I mean, maybe not so much the first several moves, because, like, Deep Blue definitely had an openings book. Yeah, so this game was was interesting for a couple of reasons to me. First, first of all, unlike game one, right, where it was more of a system, we're just playing sort of like a hedgehog, let's get a game, let's, you know, quote-unquote, just play chess, right? Mm-hmm. So this game was obviously a, a theoretical opening. Um, Kasparov had the black side of a, of a closed Spanish. Yeah. Um, which obviously the computer with its, with its opening books is not going to fall, is not going to falter early. Um, but what yeah, was it? very well known position. And I mean, pretty stable position at that. Right. Exactly. I, I think what was interesting to me is, uh, this game, unlike, unlike the first game, the first game felt like a computer was reacting to a strong player trying to play chess. Right. Mm-hmm. And the second game looked a lot more just like to the eye test, you know, in sports, we always talk about the eye test. The eye test here looked a lot more like, like logical, like, let's just get some counterplay going. It felt more, it's weird to say this, looking at a, a, at, a at an, at an IBM computer from 1997, but it felt much more like a human. Yeah, it definitely, <clears throat> it played with more, uh, purpose and, uh, cohesion you might say like the the play really all made a lot of sense but um for computers at that time this was sort of unusual um on move 23 deep blue doubles rooks on a closed file of a positional procedure which is uh not really a stranger to most human uh players but you or know modern computers it should be said. right or modern computers for sure but at that time computers simply didn't play chess like this um you know, it because like again, you have to see the first game and other high-level computer games from that era. 
you know, they just didn't play chess like this for many years. Um, so that was weird. Uh, and like the next moment came with the move 37 Bishop E4. I believe white has a chance to win material with queen B6 right away or something like that. But, um, somewhere down the line here, because also as you pointed out, right. Computers at the time were extremely materialistic. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that's why it was unusual for the computer to pass up a chance like that. Instead, the move bishop e4 squelches the idea of any counterplay um, that might occur with e4 followed by black playing queen e5, activating the queen and bishop battery and that weakened diagonal. Um, but yeah, they, what was strange about all this was, yeah, Kasparov really got paranoid because of this game because like it felt like it had um the touch of a human player like karpov or somebody like that the manner in which like he was totally suffocated in this close spanish but uh what was interesting is that at move 43 the computer itself made an error in a what would be a winning position i believe plays the move king f1 instead of king h1 um or maybe even king h2 also like uh this move allowed in the final position, rook a6 for black to get a draw with queen e3. Queen take d6, rook e8. Um, you know, the listeners can verify for themselves, but yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, post, we'll post these uh, matches and games as well. We'll get some links up. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was just strange. Like, you know, for, for it to play is just such a totally perfect game and then all of a sudden just blunder a perpetual. Um, right. It's almost, it's almost like, you know, the the game was in the bag. They were probably getting some really excellent, you know, like uh, readings and, and just went with a move. Maybe, maybe didn't let it compute long enough or the conspiracy theorists might say, maybe, you know, the grandmaster stopped helping. <laughs> right. Maybe. Or, or also too, like there were, you know, such mistakes like, um, you know, could like this were common for many years to be beyond the computer's horizon. Um, to see Catch, such a catching move. a perpetual, you mean? Yeah, or just like I mean, missing a lot of stuff. Like, let's say you know you sacrifice like a rook or something for like few few pawns, maybe. But whatever, it it doesn't matter. The attack it looks so dangerous, and you know, whereas we think like, oh my god, that has to be made. Like, you know, sometimes the computer will see, hey, but you know, the rook is a very serious investment. Um, you know, so it might not see that, and it might see like a draw or something. Um, because it sees that safety net, but like all a human might see is just the weak king. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, I mean, these were mistakes that computers were prone to. I mean, even some modern day neural nets, like I know Anish Giri posted an example of this once on Twitter, where like the neural net computer blunders mate. Yeah. It's, like, it, it it's interesting to see like computers and like moments where they fail. Right. Right. And what what prompts that or caused that? Obviously, you know, uh, Deep Blue Engine running in 1997 on an IBM machine is, is very different than like an Alpha Zero running today, right? Or a neural net um, engine, or I'm not even sure if engine is the right way to refer to a neural net. I guess it is, right? Because it is driving the play. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just recognizing those those types of errors and also thinking about you know how they would have been. Uh, programmed or coded uh, to to recognize, you know, are they evaluating a position 
that's a perpetual is basically still an advantage because basically as long as they don't check you to death, you're still winning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it sees the extra material, but it might not see progress, you know? Exactly, right. How to, how to, how to make progress when you just have to keep getting out of check. Um, yeah, I mean, so this, this game like basically was uh, really the start. And then um, somehow like Kasparov, uh, he had a weird sort of suspicion that like he played this variation for the first time in his life, this Karokan with a uh, 97. This is in the last game of the match, I believe mm-hmm. game six. And um, after knight F three, like as far there are two moves um, queen C seven and H six, but yeah, H six allows uh, knight take E six, this very strong knight sacrifice in the opening. Um, and Kasparov said he decided to play this on a whim and like prepared it quickly or something like that. Um, and oddly enough, the, this very line had been entered into deep blues opening book, uh, earlier that day, they said, you know, really? Yeah. It seems like too good of a coincidence almost. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Almost. It's interesting. The parallel that can be drawn there between that and the, and the game, um, that sort of that, uh, started the revolution, uh, between, uh, Carlson and Neiman, you might remember, uh, mm-hmm. Neiman basically claimed to have studied this, uh, line that Carlson had never played sort of a rare line, a rare-ish line that very same morning. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, what's weird about this line is like, it looks like maybe black's cause is vindicated here. I think these days they accept the sacrifice with F take E six first. And if Bishop G six check King E seven, they like, uh, yeah, they deal with that or some it's, it's ridiculous actually how well black has scored there recently, if I'm not mistaken, but, um, anyway, yeah, like this type of thing was chosen by Kasparov to try to get deep blue out of its opening book. Right. And so all of a sudden it is in the opening book. So like all kind of, um, has you wonder, like, I mean, it doesn't seem like such a preposterous idea now because there's so much information, but like the computer was allowed like open research, which it probably wasn't, or, you know, the human GM was prompting it at some moments. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And I, I remember part of the reasoning that was given. So the, there was, this is the one I was referring to with, with a documentary made about it, by the way. Um, um, and I thought the title of the documentary was maybe even called just Deep Blue. Um, but I see here. I know there game, was game Over. Game Over. Right. That's the one I was thinking of. For some reason, I thought it was just called Deep Blue, but it was Game Over. And, uh, and yeah, I remember that part of the idea here was let's, let's play this opening because, you know, the computer might not go for the sack without, you know, it's like a positional sack, right? It's like there's no direct material game. Uh-huh. Um, and then, there, of course, it, yeah, it goes sorry, right for it. Yeah. Um, you know, this kind of, I don't know if we have time, but there was like two other uh, leak incidents, like in terms of uh, information mm-hmm. on Kasparov's uh, side, like if that were to be the case. Um, I know a couple of times during his match with Karpov, somehow Karpov was able to guess, um, like know what openings um, would occur, like what opening Kasparov would be preparing for the next game because I think 
Dorfman is second, was betting like on some like sports thing, I think, what do you call it? The match totalizer. He was betting what opening would occur. And that was an information leak to Karpov, if I'm not mistaken. Oh my goodness. I had not heard of this one. Um, yeah. And then there was another one where I think Yevgeny Vladimirov was accused of leaking information, but I don't know if they ever conclu- they, if they ever conclusively uh, proved that. And it kind of damaged his career. Really? Wow. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, as a second, I mean, one of your most vital roles is, of course, to to keep keep preparation, you know, in house, right? So mm-hmm. I could see where that would be incredibly, incredibly damaging. Yeah. Um. All right, we have a third one, and this is a really fascinating one, actually. <laughs> Another strange moment, and I don't even know, like, I don't even know honestly if calling this one a scandal is the right way of terming it. It's more just like an interesting. Oh, so that happened. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking, of course, about the game from the 2003 European Championship between Vladimir Malakov and Zorob Azmai-Parashvili. So, Gopal, what do you know about this game? So, I believe this was the game that uh, would determine who would become the the European champion. So, big, big tournament, right? Um, On move 21, Malakov... um, in a worse position. I mean, he's forced to play Rook D1. And Asmai Parashvili moves his bishop. And then, of course, he sees his rook is hanging. So then he puts his bishop back to the original square and then exchanges rooks, thus avoiding the loss of material and violating the touch move rule. And while doing this, he said, oh, of course, the exchange first. Right, that to me to is is what almost makes this like a, a legend story, right? <laughs> it's just like you yeah. you see the the I, I guess what we would call like a brain fart happening like live and in, in real time, right? Mm-hmm. So he's calculating this variation. He's going to trade rooks and play bishop e five, and then he just plays bishop e five, realizing mm-hmm. what he's done. He very deliberately <laughs> makes makes a statement out loud. Undoes the move and and continues and continue the, continues the game. He goes on to win the game and he becomes European champion as a result. Yeah, and I, I remember. So there was, um, uh, I, I think this was written about in one of Sasanko's books. Sasanko, the uh, the uh, editor, was he the, I believe he was the editor of New and Chess, right, Jenna Sasanko. I thought that was Timon, but I know he's written a lot of books published by Noon Chess. Okay, I could be mistaken. Maybe I'm just thinking he's a contributor. He uh, could be. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot what book it was written about. But I don't recall what? either. But but uh, I remember the story basically relates like you know there was some discussion as to okay should this result stand should the game be declared a draw like what should occur right mm-hmm. um, but essentially what happened is. The result stood, uh, you know, uh, he, 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 he won the game, as you pointed out, right? As my parish really went on to win the game. And this was uh, the ultimate game that decided who was the European champion that year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just a blatant and like very obvious touch move, touch move violation. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, to be fair, he, he's been known for like other ones. Like I believe um, the tournament in, I think in which he crossed 2,700, like it was full of uh, like the whole tournament, I think was faked. Um, 
or at least like, you know, nobody was really playing. Like, you know, they were paid off. Really? Wow. I had not, this is yet another scandal. I I, I had, I was unheard of or had did not have any information about. I'm curious uh, though. Have you Steven ever Lisa, had 1995? What's up? Have you ever had something like this happen to you where um, an opponent has like tried to go back on a move, you know, takes you back to use or, 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 or maybe the, the flip side of it, you know, have you ever just like had a total, you know, slip of the slip of the brain where, you know, you, you're calculating a line and just play it out of order without even recognizing it. Uh, nice try. Uh, I, I know, I know, at least we know who's the cop here. Um, <laughs> trying to get me to self-incriminate. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't really recall too many of those. Like, I mean, I know some like adults as a kid mm-hmm. had tried to either call a touch move on me. That wasn't the case. Um, or, like, you know, I would try to, I would call a touch move on them legitimately. They'd be like, what are you talking about? You know, hmm. I had that happen to me a few times, uh, like really? when I was a kid. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I've seen it happen in, in real life. Like, uh, a certain, like, yeah, I mean, I remember this happened at an Illinois tournament, certain FM that used to live in Chicago. Um, and then left the country. Like he did this and I, you know, I just couldn't believe it. Like I think a few people saw or nobody else saw. It was bizarre. And he went on to lose that game actually. Hmm. I had, so interesting. I've actually been on both sides of this. So I had, Mm -hmm. I had a brain slip occur one time where I was like, going to play, going to play an exchange. Uh, essentially trade pieces which would pull the enemy queen away from c2 where it was covering the square a4 right and then i was going to play queen a4 to basically take over the square right uh instead what i did is i just played queen a4 and my opponent played queen takes a4 (laughs) (laughs) i just like looked at the board and i was like oh my god what just happened you know i couldn't i i of course i resigned immediately i just didn't even you know, it was just one of those moments where like, okay, you, you trade, trade the queen. I think it was like Bishop takes D three, queen takes D three. And then I play queen a four or something. Yeah. Um, and I just moved the queen to a four. He took it. And that was the game. It actually happened at, that was at a, a, a FIDE a futurity event. Um, so that was extremely painful. And then that, the other the worst one, is, Oh, sorry. I was going to say the worst with that is when that happens to you, but you think you're executing like a really powerful winning move. Right. No, I, 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 if I had, if I had actually played what I intended to play, I think I, I would have had a pretty strong advantage. The computer confirmed. Um, I don't know about winning, but you know, like definitely the much better side of equal. But, but yeah, banging out like a, a really str- like a, a cruncher, you know, as right. Fisher would say. Um, but like, it's not. It's just like you loses and the curb your enthusiasm music plays in the background. <laughs> it's always that music, isn't it? And then, so I was actually, I've, I've been on the witness side of this a few times as well. I saw, I actually witnessed a game at a tournament uh, in Lindsborg, Kansas, where a player, a grandmaster player who I shall not name, uh, executed a move, stood up, kind of adjusted his pants. A look of shock and horror came across his face. He quickly bent back down, undid the move and played another move. (laughs) Yeah. His opponent was not at the board. Uh Um, and some people think like that's okay. The opponent wasn't there, didn't see it, no harm, no foul, you know, whatever. Yeah, but that's that's when it would happen mm. a lot. Like yeah. I mean, this was just so brazen. 
right. has my profile. Right. Yeah. So not quite exactly. Not quite the same scenario. No, but that's still brazen. Like, I mean, if somebody sees you, like your reputation is mud. Um, yeah. I would like to say, ironically, do you remember when I pointed out to you uh, that same grandmaster had won a award for sportsmanship of some sort? I do recall that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we both just like couldn't believe it. But maybe also he had learned from that incident. Right. Yeah. People can, people can learn. You can learn. I mean, they say you can't, I mean, whatever. I want to believe people can change, but I also know the, what you can't change the spots on a leopard or whatever the children are saying nowadays. Well, according to both Tupac and blind melon, there can be change. So. Hashtag yeah. 90s reference. We got to make some changes. And still, I see no changes. Um, all right, go Paul. I mean, that's, that's what we had. Those were our three big ones. These uh, wild and wacky uh, sort of look backs at uh, strange and unusual chess scandals. Um, any final thoughts? Um, I don't know. Stay thirsty, my friends, for information. <laughs> Hashtag not a sponsor, but, you know, if you want to. We're, we're always uh, accepting, uh, accepting potential. Uh, what is that? Is that the Dos Equis? Is that right? Recording. Uh, I believe so. I actually didn't know at first, but yeah, uh, I don't remember either, but it sticks in your head, right? It's so weird. Um, as you may know, my wife and I grew up together. We were, we were same age, same grade, went to school, et cetera. That's kind of weird. And every now and then one of us will just, you know, re- kind of hum a, a tune from a, a, either a, a theme song from like a nineties show or nineties commercial more frequently. And it's just sort of uncanny how those stick in your head. Yeah, you know which one I was thinking about recently was uh, that Sears commercial. Which one? Uh, what's the dialogue? It's it's just something banal, like where the the man and the woman they're talking like, oh, it's going to be another hot one, right? Another scorcher. Yeah, and then yeah, like the you know they're going back and forth, like oh, you should call today, whatever. And then basically, whatever after they get their AC. The, one of them asks the other one a question. The other one responds with cool. Like that's the whole punchline. <laughs> Such a nineties wholesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thing. Oh, what a simpler time when there was no unified world chess champion. And, uh, I guess no, uh, alpha zero people were cheating with like chess master 3000 and the prime reference in the prime time of Jerry Springer too. <laughs> On that note, um, if you stuck with us, thank you very much. This was we had a lot of fun, uh, you know, looking into this and 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 finding some of these strange and weird scandals. I'm sure there will be another one. There can't not be just with the way the chess world works. So we look forward to that. But until then, uh, this has been National Master Pete Carianis, my co-host Gopal Menon. Gopal, tell the people what's up. Um, stay thirsty for knowledge, uh, <laughs> and please sponsor us. All right, we'll see you next month. Love you. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for a podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.7seasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off. 
Pete Karyanis. Thank you.